Um, as I said, this is daunting. This is scary for him. Um, I didn't realize I was teeing you up to preach on the day after the World Cup final. <laughs> I mean, jeez, uh, the Springboks really did you a favor last night. <laughs> um, but jokes aside, this is nerve-wracking. This is scary. I am 100% aware that he has prepped incredibly well, and God's grace is on his life. And I'm full of confidence in how well he's going to do. I just want to ask us as a church, let's open our hearts. Let's open our hearts wide to hear this message from God's word through this incredible young man. And let's pray for him. Um, and, uh, and then let's get, go to business with Jesus. Father, thank you so much that your grace is on Darlington's life. Thank you that you know him, you have called him, that you are over every, um, every moment of his life, Lord Jesus, as you raise him up to be the incredible man of God you've called him to be. And I thank you for the privilege that you've put him in our community, Lord Jesus. I thank you for his faithfulness over time. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, for his effort that he's put in in prep. And I pray, Lord Jesus, above all else, your anointing over him. And I pray, Lord Jesus, your softening of our hearts. I thank you that so much of uh, the impact of God's word, as you taught us in the parable, is not the sower, but it's the soil. And that our hearts, Lord Jesus, get to, get to determine something of the fruitfulness of your word. And so I pray, Lord Jesus, soften our hearts. Speak to us, Holy Spirit, each of us, from your word to our lives, that we would become more like Jesus. We ask this in your name, Christ. Amen. 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 Thanks, Luke. One, two. Am I good? All right. Thanks so much, Luke. Um, good morning, everybody. Oh, what a wonderful introduction. I hope I'll be able to at least measure up to half of what Luke has said. <laughs> um, as Luke has shared, uh, my name is Darlington Kufa, if we have never met. I'm in my second year of theology at uh, George Whitefoot College in Musenbeck. And um, it's such a joy and a privilege to be able to share God's word with you today. Um, in our series uh, in 2 Corinthians, um, Sphere of Influence. And today we are looking at chapter 11 uh, from verses 16 through to 33. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 16 to 33. So, in the previous sermons, we have been hearing how the book of 2 Corinthians is really a countercultural book, if I can say. Whereas in people usually look for strength and for power in terms of ministry and doing life, Paul is coming to the Corinthians and he's saying, you should be listening to me and you should be listening to my message of the gospel of Christ because I am weak. And that is something that is very contradictory, especially in our generation today. Because if you are looking at whether it's pastors or preachers or even Christians in general, our thinking is that if you are serving the almighty God, show us our, your accolades and your accomplishments and what you have done in life so that we can follow you. It's, it's, it's very much easy for us to say because we serve the creator of everything, therefore his message must a message of honoring his creation or the people who are representing him. 
But Paul is actually coming to the Corinthians and saying, hey, contrary to the super apostles that you want to follow and to listen, who say they have everything figured it out, I actually do not. And today we are going to see why Paul is saying that. Why is it that Paul is pointing to his weakness in, in defense of his message of the gospel of Christ Jesus? And I just, I'm just going to read our passage for today and then we are going to dive into it. So from verse 16, Paul says, I repeat, let no one think, of, think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool so that I too may boast a, a little. What I'm saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, would, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts you on airs, or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times at the hands of the Jews, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. Frequent, in, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall, and I am not indignant. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through the window in the wall and escaped his hands. So what we see in our section today, Paul begins to defend his ministry and his apostleship. And why is it necessary for Paul to defend his ministry and his apostleship? It's because the church that he has planted, after writing to them, as Luke has been introducing us, they, they've run into a problem. They are the so-called super apostles who have infiltrated and they are teaching a message that is contrary to what Paul is saying. And one of the things that they are doing in order to win the Corinthians over, they are trying to discredit Paul. They are trying to discredit his ministry. Because if you discredit the messenger, then you can also discredit the message as well. So what they are doing, they are saying to the Corinthians, look at us. We have everything. We are very wise. 
One of the things that the culture in the Corinthians used to value was honor and wisdom and just excellence in general. And Paul didn't have any of that. And the Corinthians, the Corinthians, they are in a dilemma here. Should they listen to a man who's saying God is powerful, but he himself is weak? Or should they listen to people who are saying, hey, we have it all figured it out, and there's evidence for that. And so we get to a section from verse 16 where Paul begins to boast as the super apostles are doing. Paul is in a dilemma here. And what Paul needs to do is that he needs to become like the super apostles in order to win the Corinthians back to the message of Christ. But how is he going to do that? Because Paul is aware that to boast or to take pride in himself is something that is contrary to the message. So what is Paul going to boast in? I have a scripture here, Proverbs chapter 24, verses 4 to 5. This is kind of like the story or the picture where Paul finds himself. It says, do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself will be just like him. Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. What would you do if you were Paul? You are aware of the scriptures. And the Bible is saying, do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you are going to become a fool yourself. And then in the next very verse, it says, answer a fool according to his folly, or else he would think himself to be wise. So what is Paul going to do? <laughs> what is Paul going to do? How far is he willing to go for the sake of the gospel? How much love does he have for, this, for these people? Is he willing to make himself look foolish in order to redeem them to the message of Christ? And that is exactly what Paul decides to do. Paul says, if it is about the message of Christ, if it is about the security of your faith and your devotion to Christ, I do not care how I look or how, who I become, as long as Christ is glorified and you are restored to your security in him. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been in a situation where someone pushes you to the edge and you end up saying something that you didn't intend to say? You, you, you hold your peace for a long time. But then because of the circumstance, you just get to a point where you just, you just let it go. This is where Paul is. Or maybe some of us here who are parents can think about this. Think about a young mother. Maybe she's a single woman. And she has raised this young, handsome man who has grown to be a very fine man. But there's a problem. He's quite wayward. There's no obedience, there's no obedience to his mom, and there's no regard for his mother's teachings whatsoever. And so he has even gotten to a point where he's starting to question and to doubt his mother's love for him. And now this mother, what, what is she gonna do? She sits him down and she begins to show him photos of when he was young, or maybe photos of when she was pregnant, all oh, the scans and the scars, maybe she had an operation or something like that. I'm pretty sure there's no mother who wants to be in that position where they begin to count all the things that they've done for their child to prove their love. But that's exactly where Paul has come to. In chapter 10, verse 1, he says, in meekness and in gentleness, this is the approach that Paul is taking. Paul is not coming to shout at the Corinthians. He's not arguing with them. He's not angry at them. 
He's taking the approach of gentleness and meekness, trying to reason with them so that they come back to the original message of the cross. And why is this so important? Why is Paul willing to become a fool in order to redeem these people? Because when they reject Paul and they reject his message and they reject his ministry, they're ultimately rejecting Christ. Because Paul is a special apostle, the message of Christ is embedded in his, in his message and in his life and in his, in his ministry. So if they reject him, they're just not rejecting him, they're rejecting Christ. Their devotion to Christ is challenged and their salvation is no longer secure. And so from verse 16 to 21, Paul becomes a fool to fools in order to save the foolish. Paul is very much aware that what I'm about to do here is not something that Jesus would commend. But because of the situation, he has to do it. He's not doing it as the, as the Lord would. Christ didn't, wouldn't want us as followers to boast according to the flesh or maybe by the standards of the flesh. Jesus wouldn't want us pointing into ourselves as the standard or as people to be observed. Rather, what we're supposed to be doing is to point people to Christ. So how is Paul going to do this if he's aware of this? Paul is quite aware that there's nothing in of ourselves that can guarantee us favor with God. Whether it's salvation or serving God in ministry, it's simply unmerited favor. We are not worthy. None of us are. So in verse 20, Paul actually says, you yourselves, you think you are very wise. But here's what you've been doing in your wisdom. You've been tolerating people who have been abusing you. You've been tolerating people who have taken advantage of you, who have devoured you and plundered you. They've actually made fools of you. And now I'm going to become a fool. You have made me to become a fool so that I may win you who have become foolish. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 20 to 23, Paul had said that I've become all things to all people so that by all means I may win them over to Christ. So it's not a new idea that Paul is introducing us in verses 16 to 21. It's something that he has been saying that I'm willing to go as far as becoming weak to the weak and becoming like a Jew to the Jews so that I'm winning everybody to Christ by all means. What is Paul trying to do and what picture are we getting here? We're getting a picture of a man who's ready to do whatever it takes to win people to Christ. And so finally, in verses 21 to 22, Paul begins to boast. He actually starts talking about himself. And what we see in this section is that speaking as a fool, Paul is actually equal to the super apostles on the basis of heritage. So one thing that the super apostles were doing to the Corinthians, they're saying, hey, you know what? We are the Jews. Christ came from the Jews. We have a connection to Christ. We have the special revelation. Listen to us. Don't listen to Paul. Paul is actually not a Jew. He is a Jew, but he was raised in the gentle ways. He doesn't know the Jewish culture as much as we do. And Paul says, whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I too can boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. 
Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. And what Paul is doing in this section on the basis of heritage, he's not exalting himself above the super apostles. He's saying we are just equal. Why? Because this is on the basis of ethnicity. So Paul doesn't want to qualify his ministry based on heritage. But he's saying if you are listening to them because they are Hebrews, so you should give ear to me as well because I am a Hebrew as well. In three different ways, Paul was trying to convince the Corinthians that there's nothing special about these people. The gospel does not depend on ethnicity. And that's why we have such a beautiful picture here. They're trying to discredit Paul and ultimately his message on the grounds of heritage. But Paul, should we really just listen to you simply because you are a Jew and you are, you are a Hebrew? Is that enough? <laughs> is, this, is this your best rebuttal to what these people have presented? And Paul would say, I know you're going to think that this is crazy, but actually you should listen to me because I'm a better servant of Christ than they are. And this is where it starts getting interesting. Paul, you are praying in yourself that you are a better servant than they are. What do you mean? Please look with me from verse 23 to verse 29. And what we see here is that just as Christ came to serve, we are served for service, not honor. And so when Paul argues that he is a better servant than they are, he's not pointing to the honor that he has. He's not pointing about these elaborate positions and the special place of honor that he has in his, as an apostle. He's actually going to point to his service and the things that he has done for the sake of the gospel, even amongst the Corinthians themselves. So Paul's rivals claim to be servants of Christ as well. They're also saying, we know Jesus, we follow him, and we are committed to him. But you and I know that not all who claim to be servants of Christ are actually servants of Christ. The 21st century church has seen a lot of this. Where gimmicks and funny stuff are happening in the church by people who say they are Christians and they are servants of God. And Paul does not deny his opponent's claims but rather he asserts his own. They claim to be servants of Christ because of their hardships. Paul says, I have more stories of difficulties for the sake of the gospel. And this is where he argues that he surpasses the super apostles. From verse 23, he says, are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. And he says, I'm talking like a madman here with far greater labors far more imprisonments with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, and in cold and exposure. I thought you said you were a better servant of Christ, Paul. Tell us about the churches that you have planted. Tell us about how many people you have healed. 
Tell her, give us a record of what your Sunday service looks like. How many services do you have on a Sunday? Tell us about your accomplishments. Tell us about what you have done, Paul. You said you are a better servant of Christ. What is it that you have done? What can you point to that tells us that you are a better servant of Christ? And Paul is going to say, it's because of what I've been through for the sake of the gospel. Paul says, I have far greater labors. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10, Paul says, he said, I worked harder than all of the apostles. But then he qualifies and he says, it was by the grace of God that worked in me. He says, I have far more imprisonments. And we know that by the writing of 2 Corinthians, we have only a record of one of Paul's imprisonments in the book of Acts. But actually, in the historians, they tell us that the Paul was imprisoned more than seven times. Five times he was flogged by the Jews, the 39 lashes. This was one of the worst Jewish punishments that were given to people who were regarded as lawbreakers. And it actually often led to death. He says, I was beaten with rods at the hands of the Romans. <laughs> Though he was a Roman citizen himself, Paul, but often he didn't exercise that right. Why? Because he found so much joy in suffering for the sake of the gospel. He says, if we share in Christ's sufferings, then we'll also share in his glory. Luke records in Acts 14 verse 19 to 20 how Paul was stoned at Lystra. He preaches the gospel well, he defends the message, and the people are unhappy with the Paul's message. So they actually drag him outside the city and then they stone him. They only leave him there because they think he's dead. Paul, you say you are a better servant of Christ, but you're telling us about your near-death experiences. How contrary is this to our culture? And he said, I had three shipwrecks, no lifeguard, no signaling for help. It's, it's almost as if Paul is, is, is recalling one incident where he was holding onto a shipwreckage for a whole 24 hours at the mercies of the sea. On his many missionary journeys, he has been vulnerable to people, to weather, to sea, to land, to Jews, to Gentiles, amongst Christians, amongst thieves and bandits. And here's, here's how, how he explains himself. This is what captures what Paul was going through. In 1 Corinthians 15, 31, he says, I face death daily. This is the life of Paul. And in addition to these dangers, there are the hardships or deprivations that he faces as a result of his many journeys. There are sleepless nights. He's often hungry. He's thirsty. Not only is Paul risking his life for the sake of the gospel, he has actually been deprived of the basic necessities of life for the sake of the gospel. And interesting enough, Paul would say, I'm not done. This is not my greatest worry. I'm not, I don't even care about my life. This is, this is not where my concern is. This is not what causes me sleepless nights. It's not the hardships and the difficulties and the persecutions that I'm facing. It's actually my worry and my concern for the churches. This is what keeps me awake at night. Look with me in verses 28 and 29. Paul says, and apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. 
Who is weak and I'm not weak? Who is made to fall and I'm not indignant? The hardships and difficulties that Paul has mentioned up to this time, they are external. But now we get to see, we get to look into Paul's heart. What keeps you awake at night, Paul? On what grounds do you claim that you are a better servant of Christ and we should listen to you? And Paul says, I pray for you all the time. There's none amongst you who is weak and I'm not weak with them. There's none amongst you who is caused to fall and, I'm, and I, don't, I don't burn with anger and jealousy. Paul says, I stay awake because of my heart for all the churches. And these are churches that Paul has planted and churches that Paul has not planted himself. He is the concern of the church of God. And Paul is saying, if you want to see a true servant of Christ, somebody who is serving Jesus, they should show it by their heart for Christ. Do they really love you, these people, that you are listening to, these super apostles? What have they done for you? His heart is heavy. He's often praying. He's writing letters. He's sending Timothy and Titus. All this for the outbuilding of the church. Paul is burdened for the well-being of the churches, and the Corinthians are included here. We know that when Paul writes the letter to the Romans, he has actually not met these people. That's how much Paul is concerned about the church of Christ. He hears that there's a church that is meeting in South Penn, and Paul wants to share the gospel. He wants to write and pray for them. And Paul says, when someone is weak, I am weak with them. That is how much I love the church of Christ. Whereas the super apostles are taking advantage of you, they're making you fools, they're devouring you and plundering you and taking advantage of you and abusing you. I'm producing myself to be with you in your situation. I'm sharing the gospel with you, and not just the gospel, I'm sharing my life with you so that I may win you to Christ. But what are we to make of what Paul is saying here? Because if you are like me, you are tempted to see an amazing apostle. And I'll be like, Paul, in comparison to me, you are amazing. I'm, I'm just a story of a Christian. I could never be you. That's you. How are we to interpret Paul's story? What is Paul trying to communicate here? How does he interpret his own story? Paul is saying, if I am cornered to boast, if I am cornered to brag, if I am cornered to take pride in myself, I'm going to take pride in my weakness, not in my strength. Why? Because God's power is displayed and witnessed and perfected in our weakness, not in our strength. Paul is saying, church, I'm pointing you to what I cannot do, so that if you see it done, you will know that it's not me, it's Christ. Paul is saying, yes, I am gifted. There are things that I can do. There are things that I can do on a Sunday morning. There are things that I can do from Monday to Friday. But don't worry about that. Look at what I cannot do. And when you see these things done, it's not me. 
It's the power of God that is being perfected in me. Paul is presenting himself as an empty cup. Because if he is an empty cup, then Christ can fill him. The super apostles are presenting themselves as full cups already. And so there's nothing in there. Look what Paul says in verse 33. I saw Luke looking upwards when I said Luke. <laughs> he says, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. So Paul is saying, if I am to boast, if you force me to boast, if the situation calls for it, I'm going to boast in the things that show my weakness. Because when I am weak, then Christ proves strong in me. So Paul's defense of his message and his, his ministry is not to stand up, but to belittle himself. Because as he does that, as he becomes lower, Christ is exalted. He will boast not only of things that show his weakness, but even things that are shameful too. Paul concludes the section by telling of this story about the governor of Damascus who was trying to arrest him. You remember the story of Paul, how he became a Christian. He's on his way to Damascus because he has the Jewish authorities, um, he, has, he, has a, he, has a, he has gotten approval from them to persecute Christians and to bring them into prison for the sake of their faith. And then Christ appears to Paul. Paul becomes a Christian. He's led into Damascus. He gets prayed over. He receives his sight. He receives his Holy Spirit. And he begins to preach the message of the cross. The same message that he was trying to persecute, he begins to preach it. And so he's going to Damascus and he's trying to hunt Christians. But he's actually living there as a hunted man. And Paul is saying, if I must boast... I will boast of things that are shameful. How I escaped the governor of Damascus, being lowered down in a basket of fish that was smelly. Paul had, was intending to persecute Christians, but he came out not only as a Christian, but winning Christians and suffering for the sake of Christians. By showing himself weak and shameful and insignificant, Paul is drawing our attention to the fact that it's not him, but rather Christ in and through him. The source of Paul's confidence is God's power. But God's power is not displayed in the powerful. God's power is not perfected in those who are strong. God does not show himself in those who don't need him. He doesn't show himself in the glorious and those who have figured it out. No, God's power is made perfect in weakness. And so you and I, like Paul, can rejoice in what we cannot do. We can rejoice in our, in our lack, in our inabilities, in our weakness, because it is in all these that we encounter and display and manifest the gospel of Christ. And so, what are we to think about this? 
Can I just suggest maybe two possible points of application? And the first one is admission to weakness. As we have explored, Paul does not intend to boast, but if he has to, he will boast in his weakness. Why are you boasting in your weakness, Paul? This is the purpose of the whole book of 2 Corinthians. That's what Paul is trying to communicate in 2 Corinthians. Look at me, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. Paul says, indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And Paul is saying, I've been in situations where death was the only thing that was in front of me. And the hardships and the persecutions that we've been through, they've been beyond what I can bear. But that is to make us rely on God and not on ourselves. Listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9 to 10. He says, but he said to me, Jesus, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, with insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The life of a Christian is actually, or is supposed to be, Admission to weakness. I'm, I'm not saying become weak. I'm saying acknowledge and realize how weak you are. So that Christ would display and show himself in us. I'm not saying take pride in sin. That, that, that's not what Paul is saying. Paul is not saying I take pride in my sin. Paul is saying, I take pride in the things that I can do. Because in the process, God is glorified. And the last point of application that I would want us to think about is we, we are like the church in Corinth sometimes. And it's very easy for us to get deceived. When we come across intelligent preachers or people who are quite, who are quite charismatic, it's very easy for us to desert the gospel of Christ. Maybe not in its fullness, maybe just to tweak it a little bit. The message and life and ministry of Paul is not just his. It's a pointer, it's evidence, it's an embodiment of Christ and his gospel. And one thing that we need to constantly be thinking about as a church and as an individual, as a Christian, is our attitude towards the apostolic preaching. We must keep checking our attitude and response to the apostolic teaching. And by the apostolic teaching, I mean, I mean the message of the cross of Christ as revealed in Scripture. Where do we stand? Do we actually believe these truths? Are we adding or subtracting to the gospel? Because church history has shown us that the church and believers, we should always be aware of the fiery darts of legalism or liberalism. Where people try to please God, people try to end their salvation by working harder, by trying hard. That's not what the gospel says. The gospel is good news to those who cannot. 
Because Christ enables them. That is why he came. Brothers and sisters, Christ did not die for us to do the things that we can do without him. The Son of God did not become a human being to help us do what we can do without him. But rather to give us what we don't have, to make us what we are not, and to help us do what we cannot. The gospel of grace, the gospel of salvation by grace alone, of faith in Christ alone, and for God's glory alone, that is the message that the New Testament teaches. And today, we are celebrating Reformation Day. I don't know if some of you knew this. It's one of the days where, as Protestants, we celebrate the Reformation, a historical event that started on the 31st of October in 1517. And Martin Luther is known to have nailed the 95 Theses to the castle church in Wittenberg. And this is during a time when the church was one, and it was called the Catholic Church. And there were a lot of things that were happening in the Catholic Church that were not contrary to the scriptures. The church had lost its beauty of the gospel. The authority of the Bible had been replaced by church tradition. The Bible no longer spoke for itself. There was a time when it was illegal for Christians to have their own Bibles in their own language where people were buying forgiveness of sins and favors of God through the popes and the priests. And through the selling of indulgences, you could actually minimize your own sin or how much you suffer for your sin in purgatory. There was no assurance of salvation. You were never going to be sure if you are right with God because it was an oppressive system. But there were men and women who looked back to the apostolic teaching who look back to the scriptures and they started to see that what the Bible says and what we're seeing in church today, they are contrary. And that was when the reformation started. And today, you and me, we are benefiting from that. Can I encourage you to be clear on what you believe, where you stand, and how you are responding to the gospel? The message of Christ is perfected in us, in our weakness. The gospel is good news for those who cannot. Whether you're a Christian, whether you're a non-Christian, this is why Jesus came. So that he can show his power and his grace in us. Would you pray with me? Gracious Father, we... We thank you so much, Lord, this wonderful morning. We give you praise and glory because you are the God who loves us. Not only do you love us, your word tells us that you have loved us. But whilst we're still sinners, Christ died for us. And there's nothing that can move us from that love. For it is eternal and everlasting. Lord, we thank you so much for this morning that you have given to us to sit under your word and to have an opportunity to respond. And thank you for this message that reminds us of how weak we are, how incapable we are, how incompetent we are, how much we lack and how much we are needy. We thank you that the gospel is good news to those who cannot. 
the gospel is good news to those who lack. And you invite us today to pride in our weakness. You invite us today to acknowledge where we cannot. You invite us today, Lord, to, to come to terms with who we are. And like Paul, to be glad in calamities, in hardships, even in sickness, because there we experience your power. There we see you for who you are. Lord, I pray that each and every one of us here would acknowledge our need for you. How eager and waiting you are, Lord, to display the gospel of Christ and to make it manifest in us. Only if we come willing. Maybe there are some of us here, Lord, who have not put their faith in you. Maybe there are some of us here, Lord, who are coming from different religions where they are told to do better, to work hard, to end their salvation, to end eternal life. Lord, would you assure them that you invite the thirst, you invite the poor, you invite the incapable, you invite the weak, so that you may make yourself beautiful in their hearts and powerful in their lives. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.